Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. As you are well aware, our advance on Bathsheba has been seriously delayed. Fortifications of unknown strength still face us across a plain of some three miles. And the sun sets in one hour. By which time, some of our horses will have been without water for 48 hours. Unless we take the wells of Bathsheba intact, we not only face defeat, but a military disaster. What are your views? Sir. Yes, Grant. I believe my brigade could take the town if given a free hand. I must know what you propose. To make a mounted charge against the eastern defences, sir. I have two regiments, the 4th and 12th, close at hand. General Chevelle, if there's to be a charge, then surely it must be made by my cavalry, who are armed with swords. Brigadier Grant's men are mounted infantry. They are, Fitzgerald. We're constantly reminded of that fact. Watson. 60,000 men have failed to take this town in 12 hours. How can 800 horsemen possibly succeed in less than one hour? You don't believe they can do it? No one has ever attempted a cavalry charge against entrenched infantry supported by machine guns and artillery. It's unheard of, sir. Do you see any alternative in the time available? Well, no, sir, but Very I... well. Put Grant straight at it. Good evening, and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Whoa. I'm a Philip Hunting. And I'm a Wayne Stellini. Welcome to our Fred Watch Anzac Day special. Anzac Day is a time where Australians remember the sacrifice of servicemen and women in time of war. Absolutely, mate. So what are we reviewing today? Today, we're reviewing Simon Wentz's 1987 Anzac film, The Light Horseman. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> The film follows four Australian cavalrymen, Frank, Gary Sweet, Scotty, John Blake, Chiller, Tim McKenzie, and Taz, John Walton, in Palestine 1917 as part of the 4th Light Horse Brigade of the British and Commonwealth Forces. When Frank dies from wounds, he is replaced by new recruit, Dave, Peter Phelps. When Dave finds himself unable to fire his weapon in combat, he is transferred to the medical corps, where he does not need to carry a weapon, but will still be exposed to the fighting. Meanwhile, plans are drawn up for an attack on Beersheba. Major Richard Meinertshagen, Anthony Andrews, deliberately leaves behind documents indicating that an attack on Beersheba will only be a diversion, thus lulling the Turks into a false sense of security. On the 31st of October... The 4th and 12th Light Horse Regiments are ordered to attack the Turks. Dave and the rest of the medical detachment prepare for casualties and are ordered in behind the Light Horse. The Australians begin advancing on the Turkish position, gradually speeding up to a charge, hitting the Turkish lines and routing them, securing Beersheba and its waters. It is often seen as the last great cavalry charge in history. Wayne. What did you think of The Light Horseman? I think a film that presents the last great cavalry charge in history is a pretty great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful story. I mean, I think we often hear of The Light Horseman, but don't really know their story. And what's interesting about this particular film is that our main protagonist, Dave, played by Peter Phelps, isn't really a traditional light horseman mm. throughout the story. Mm. You know, he's excited by the prospect of going to war as all young men were back in the day mm -hmm. before they knew better. Although, <laughs> you know, he will reveal at some stage that he's gone into it with a bit more knowledge yeah. than his more mature and experienced peers, which is fair. He's got his own motivations and we mm -hmm. believe them and we believe his reasons for wanting to be successful yep. amongst the light horsemen, despite his, his naivety, I suppose, mm -hmm. and inexperiences. But it's interesting because he isn't with his colleagues, his troops, mm. all the way through. If we want to be really harsh and blunt about what we expect a soldier to be like, he fails. Mm. He's not up to it because he's got this heavy conscience there about feeling really confronted by the idea of killing people. Even people who are about to give him... A lot of hassle, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to, put to put it lightly. Yes, you know, who, who are about to cause him harm, mm. potentially death 
you know, mm. or torture or, or whatever, all the horrific things that happen in war. Mm. He can't bring himself to, you know, use his saber or to hit somebody with his bayonet or fire a gun. Mm. So he's not really suited for the type of conflict that the light horsemen have to endure. Mm. And we then see the second half of his story in this film helping out on the medical side of things. Mm. Still incredibly dangerous. Yeah. To some degree, one could argue even more so, because you're going into a field to rescue soldiers and to help people without any weaponry or mm. really any defense besides the soldiers around you. Mm. So I think it's actually an interesting angle at which they tell the Light Horseman's mm. story, because you would expect a movie like this to, to follow a soldier all the way through, not change you know, their regiments, mm. not change their main focus. Yeah. But, you know, his focus has gone from being literally on horseback mm. to then being someone who is bandaging people yeah. up. Yeah. So, yeah, I find that that element of the narrative is really fascinating. Oh, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. It's a very interesting take on something that later was discussed a lot more, mm. which is this idea that soldiers didn't want to kill. Yeah. I mean, there's studies out there, and again, they're debated studies, so I'm not going to sort of go into it too far, but there is an idea of thought that something like 45% of all soldiers claimed to have intentionally missed. Yeah, yeah. That they intentionally would not fire, and there's some supporting evidence that says something along the lines of 85% of all Injuries during the First World War were caused by illness, gas, bombs, but not gunfire. So not from a direct confrontation exactly. with another a troop or soldier. Exactly, and which points to this idea that, yeah, people don't like to kill each other. Yeah. And it's an interesting way that they've taken this because instead of having him again we've probably done it for the shorthand of film mm. but instead of having him you know we're looking down the barrel and we see him maybe shoot but intentionally move yeah. off to the side we see him just not firing um, which also allows his comrades to see that he's actively not taking part. It's a brave choice, I think, mm. to have a war movie in which your chief protagonist actively avoids mm. killing someone mm. and actually shows fear. Yes. I think that that's incredibly brave oh, and quite certainly. unique yeah. because when we think of war stories, especially the Hollywood movies, mm. and yes, this is an Australian movie, but it's an American co-production, so some influence mm. would be there because if they're helping to finance it, right? It contradicts everything we think of, the yes. war soldier. Yes. Because... Dave isn't presented as a coward, no. right? But he's presented as being very human. Yes. It's, there's so much humanity throughout these men. And it's an interesting take, especially because, you know, the soldiers are supposed to not have any emotions and they are gung-ho yes. and they kill the enemy yes. and, and, you know, and particularly the Aussie bloke, yes. right? You know, who doesn't fear anything or anyone. But there is a beautiful camaraderie and conflict between mm. them. These guys in this film feel incredibly real yeah. to me. They feel like Most real certainly. people. There's that point where Dave's headed off to join the medical corps mm. and they say their goodbyes, but it is sort of an awkward because on one hand, they've been through things together, yeah, but they've not been together long. You, no. you can tell they've been together maybe a week at tops, a few weeks maybe, and they haven't gotten a strong bond, but there's an insinuated bond purely because, well, we went through a battle together. We yeah. went through a fight. We survived. And I think also they know what sort of battles lay ahead because yeah. they've been through it for so yeah, long. And they see that, yes, he is young, you know, he's kid wet mm. behind the ears, and he's clearly not made for this sort of confrontation. And they're there to protect him. Yeah, that's it. And there is something quite sweet about it. They don't want to be the ones to tell him, you're not cut out for this, mm. but they do. Yeah. And they, you know, have that little moment when Dave goes, 
that it was the right thing to do. That yeah, they've essentially saved his life, they feel. Yeah, that's it. And on top of that, when you have that goodbye, it's very awkward. It's not mm. good mates saying goodbye. It's an no. awkward sort of, almost like, you know, you're saying goodbye to the temp at work. Well, you knew you, they were only there for a month or two. Yeah. You sort of chatted to them every now and then. But now you're expected to say, give them a goodbye and sign their card. And yeah. you're like, I'm not even sure of your name. Well, <laughs> no, but you know what, though? There is an element to that. Because I was going to say, it's almost like, I'll go one step further. It's like they're in an office and they've had to be the ones to fire him, but they didn't want to. Yeah. But yeah. they have to deliver that news. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, no one's making Dave leave. No. But they feel this burden to do so. Yeah. In order to protect him. Yeah. And you're right. They're not as tight with him as they are with one another. Mm. They can't be. He hasn't been around as long. But that does not matter. Because, and especially if we want to talk about, especially in Australian culture, how much we want to emphasise the Anzac spirit, mm. there is an automatic camaraderie. Yes, there's conflict because he's there replacing their fallen mate. Right? Mm. And so there's tension as yeah. well, especially from Taz, who re- doesn't really yeah, like him, yeah. who's angry at him for just even existing, yeah. <laughs> right, for being there. But at the end of the day, they're still all troops and they're still on the same side, so they are still one team. Yes. So, yeah, I find the depictions of masculinity, the depictions of friendship, mm. really interesting here because they do waver from being antagonistic towards Dave yeah. to being paternal towards him, to being very matey, mm-hmm. to being protector. Yeah. It, there's a lot of emotions that go through them, but that complexity is what you find in friendships. Yeah. In these types of dynamics and relationships. And especially when you're talking about war where everything is... There's an underlying edge. Yeah. Even when things are calm and the guys are joking around, they're mucking around on the beach, they're in a specific section yes. that is designed for recreation. So it must be a really safe space, yes. you know, in the context of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, there's no denying that they're still there to fight yes. and kill people for whatever reason that they've yeah. been told. You're right. Yeah. I find, I find, yeah, the depiction of the men in this incredibly interesting and so well done for a war movie. Yes. Um, especially made in the 80s because yeah. we don't really, you know, we've been seeing a lot of movies, especially from the States about Vietnam. They were sort of mm. really popular late 70s, early yeah. 80s and so forth. So this is a bit out of place, yeah. you know, in well, the timeline of war movies, I say. It's funny you say that mm. because I do have a strong feeling mm. that this movie was trying to tag on the coattails of a popular miniseries at the time. Mm -hmm. It was the 1985 miniseries, The Anzacs. Right. Which it actually feels like if you were to watch The Anzacs miniseries versus The Light Horseman, it does feel a little bit like they're trying to cram in all the major points Mm. of The Anzacs, which was a five-part series, into this two and a bit hour movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And whilst, yes, they've taken a very different look at in the Anzacs, they do touch on a little bit of the, the uh, you know, not quite Aussie, sort of Aussie. They've got a character called Dingo mm. and he very much is this, I'm out for myself, I don't care about me mates. He shoots a load of unarmed German prisoners. Right. Uh, he runs away, deserts, goes AWOL, and none of the uh, of his his squad likes him. Yeah. Sort of thing. They hate him, and they catch him at some point and beat the beat him up, sort of thing, because wow. they're like, "You're, you know, you you deserted us. You broke the Anzac code." Sort yeah. Of thing. Whereas you're right in this one they actually look at, well, what about someone who doesn't want to fight? Yeah. You know, whereas in that one, they spend the entire time on these people who know that's their job. Right. They talk about how horrible the war is and they talk about how much they'd prefer not to be doing it. But at the end of the day, each and every one of them look down the barrel of their sight and fire at Germans. Yeah. This one, as you say, you've got a guy who looks down the barrel of his sight and goes, but why? Yeah, and in any other film, he... Would have been a character mm. in the story, but he would have been a supporting character. Exactly. And once he left, we would not have seen him again. There's also a small little detail, which I do not know mm-hmm. whether it was intentional or whether it was an oversight or whether it was just, it looks good for the film. Right. When 
Dave does not want to shoot. He is looking down the barrel at retreating soldiers. Oh, right. There is a big thing, at least in the mythos of soldiery, Mm. is you do not shoot uh, retreating soldiers. Yeah, because it's like someone waving the white flag. That's it. Right. Even if they're retreating to... uh, you know, form a new line or, you know, yeah. get a better position or something. Mm-hmm. You, you don't shoot a man in the back. Now, I was going to say it's because the back is to yeah. you, right? Now, that is mythos. Mm. It is very much something that does not happen in the real world because you want to take out as many... You don't want them coming back at you no. later. Enemy's an can, enemy. That's it. But I'm just... I, I don't know whether they did it intentionally to further the point of well this is a horrific thing that happened in war mm. and here we have our protagonist you know maybe if they were coming at him if they were bayonet charging he'd be more than happy to shoot but then we see later you know someone comes at him with a saber and he freezes yeah i wonder if it's that sort of foreshadowing of him looking at people retreating and yes they're retreating to go and do something else and not leaving their team mm. per se. But it's almost foreshadowing about him having to retreat himself. Yes. I wonder if it's something like very that. Very possibly. Yeah. Very possibly. Um, but again, I don't know what the psychology behind that is. Mm. Personally, my personal feeling is that, yes, it is a bit of that. It's a bit of that idea of they're trying to sort of show how brutal the... Uh, Brutal in a this is war kind of way the Anzacs are being that it's like oh you're shooting them as they're running away you know the 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 sergeant yells drop them when uh, the the Turk picks up his wounded mate yeah yeah and he yells drop them is that meant to be barbaric yeah is that meant to be just that's war Mm. are we meant to as the viewers as pacifist viewers be watching this as yeah, that's a horrible thing. And our Dave, he did the right thing by not shooting. Or are we meant to look at it and go, he really should be. Yeah. Which again, I think is movies, that's film, that's, yeah. that's the dichotomy you're going to get. Going back to a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the, the, the plot. Mm-hmm. Let's have a quick chat about the love interest side of things. Yes, there's a love story here. So we have Sigrid Thornton as Sister Anne. Mm-hmm. Now... As I was saying before, this movie does, to me, knowing the Anzacs, feels like it's trying to smash all of the Anzacs <laughs> into this two-hour film. And in the Anzacs, there is a love story between our protagonist, Marty, and a sister, a, a nurse. Mm-hmm. And in that one, he goes from being a private and actually ends up being an officer. Right. The reason I bring this up is because the nurses are not meant to fraternise with privates. No. They are only meant to fraternise with officers. Yes, but can and we... And even then, not really meant to. I was going to say, Phil, can we honestly say, though, that everyone would have adhered to the rules? It does because of the compact nature of this film. And this is actually something else that this film does for me, which is a little jarring. Mm-hmm. It, it tries to hamstring a lot of exposition. It does need to fill in a lot of detail yes. in its runtime, doesn't it? And to me, this idea that, you know, they've sort of shared a glance um, whilst he was holding the guy's horses. And then later when there, we see them, he, he's in, uh, you know, wounded because mm-hmm. of his hand injury. And then they've fallen in love in the space of a cut scene. You know what I mean? It, it does feel a bit rushed. It does feel yeah. a bit sort of... I think it, it invites us as an audience to fill in the blanks. Because, you know, and maybe it's maybe it's lazy storytelling. I don't know. But to tell the story they want to tell and because they need Anne and Dave to get together, they fast forward past yeah. the initial glances and things like that because you're right it is pretty quick when he was Mm. when he says in their talk about wanting to ask her out mm. you know and and for me you hit on something right there you know that they need to Mm. my big question is did they need to yeah absolutely and (laughs) i i appreciate that you don't want it just to be all macho Mm. war and stuff like but that time could i feel could have been used a bit more to explore 
the mateship side of things, the, mm. the, the explore more of that masculinity yeah. versus, you know, what is manhood, what is duty, what is... Do you feel that, like, that you know... More. Yeah, but do you feel like that in a lot of war movies, and maybe it's just... It feels restricted to its own formula, to its own genre conventions, that there is always a love interest for the protagonist. And maybe here it's important or the filmmakers feel it's important that this protagonist who is particularly sensitive mm. and isn't as gung-ho and maybe isn't as brave, mm. and that's a very loaded word, brave, no, in I'm terms of saying, war, yeah. Yeah. but if we want to just go to black and white stereotypes, yeah. that we need to reinforce other elements of his masculinity, and one of that is his heterosexuality. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's a very good point, mm. most certainly. Looking from that side of things, mm. yes. And looking at a 1980s movie, mm. sure. I do feel that... And again, look, I'm, I'm starting to think of some movies that haven't done that sort of stuff. Yeah. But also, they've been a lot later. Gallipoli, Peter Weir's Gallipoli, there's no love interest in that. No, well, that really was about the friendship between exactly. the two boys. And I think that that's what I would have liked to have seen more, a bit yeah. more of that, you know, what happens when your mates, you, you're sort of forced to be mates. And yeah. That, more of that, but you're right. It, it, it's probably been there. One, I do think they were trying to copy to a degree, like not, not copy, copy, but they're trying to mirror... The Anzacs, because mm. that was very successful and had just sort of been released, just finished up when they started filming. Right. So that would have been in their minds, yep. well, most likely. Maybe. And I think that you're right. They they probably did feel they had to push the masculinity mm. side of things. But even that, looking at the themes in it, that whole... the females the one who comes in and says yeah you don't have to do this and bravery is not yeah. this that mirrors the anzacs as well yeah. you have um, marty who is has become a lieutenant he wants to go back to his mates and he gets he gets a, a what's called a blighty mm-hmm. which basically means a a wound that could send him back home you you've done your time yeah you served your bit this wound's bad enough to send you home he pulls some strings to get himself back to his back into action. He ends up being a staff officer, which means he's more of a, a glorified pencil pusher. Right. But um, he ends up back in action and back with his uh, unit because he's able to pull the right strings. And it's his, uh, it's the nurse. I wish I could remember her name, but she sits there and scolds him for it and tells him. You know, what? what is it with men who are going to, you know, kill themselves for this idea of your mates mm. and stuff like And we see a little bit of that here, that she's sitting there saying, you know, you're just as brave. You know, you're not any less brave just because you're not shooting people. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you know what, Phil, while I am, I suppose, a defender maybe of this romantic element or at the very least not as put off by it as you are, for example. I do agree with you that the more interesting element is the dynamics between the men. Mm. And we've seen that in other films. For example, All Quiet on the Western Front does it beautifully. Mm. You know, that depiction of masculinities and male friendships. But, you know, of course, they still have to have the men frolicking with women, Mm, (laughs) right? Because we have to have that. In some degree, we could argue, though, well, that kind of makes sense because these guys are, you know, red-blooded men yeah, who yeah. haven't seen a woman for so long and these women haven't, you know, seen handsome, young, brave men yeah, for a long time. Yeah. So it, it's it's a very predictable outcome based on those circumstances, but probably still accurate. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, Dave and Anne are, according to the film, based on real people. Yeah, I will admit that that, watching it this time, so I've watched this movie a lot, hmm. but watching it this time... And seeing that come up at the very end, that surprised me. I'd forgotten that I'd read that. So at the, right. end, at the very end, it comes up saying the the characters that Dave and Anne are based on uh, got married and lived till, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, hmm. oh, I actually never realized these were based on real people. So that does go on to the idea of, you know, yes, obviously it did happen that people just fell in love and people didn't care about yeah. uh, rank and all that sort of stuff. But it also just, for me, makes it a bit, 
less. It just, it just, it's a bit, it's a bit less. Again, I know the that what they would have gotten in trouble. Yeah, sort of thing. So. And, and maybe they've chosen to take that element because there's a lot of stories about yeah. Light Horsemen, but maybe because it was so rare. Yeah, but they're actually, like, maybe, hey, yeah. this is an actual yeah. love story that defied convention. Yeah. For example, yeah. we need to tell it. The fact they didn't put anything in about that though, but that might again just be yeah for the sake of the story. It's too much to. It's again, it's actually something I struggle with my, with my writing mm. of wartime stuff. I try because I could sit there and give you all the facts and figures and yeah. all the well, actually, this happened and that yeah. happened. But then you're not going to get a good story. Don't which, let the truth get in the way yeah. of a good story. But then I come back to Master and Commander. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, yes, we'll Philip. watch that soon. <laughs> we'll, um, but that all aside, yeah. Look, it, it, it's it's definitely whilst I feel that it's trying to go on the coattails of the Anzacs, it definitely, as you say, tackles something that I don't think many, if any. Mm. Unless you're in a series where you've got the time to tackle it. Yeah. I mean, even Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. You know, talking about a a medic who's in the war. It's still about a medic who was under wrong circumstances sort of thing. Yeah. It's a completely different kettle of fish. And even that comes off more gung-ho, hoo-ha, hoorah, than this does. This comes back and says, hey... This is the Battle of Beersheba, and here's our main protagonist. As you say, they could have done a main protagonist who was the all-round Aussie hero at Beersheba. Instead, they go, hey, here's a guy who's not as keen on uh, killing people, not your typical Aussie bloke. Exactly. We had Scotty, we had Taz, we had Chillar, and lots of other characters in the film as well that they could have focused on but even those guys are at least fleshed out Mm. yeah scotty and taz especially i feel so yeah no i definitely see where you're coming from there are interesting choices made in terms of storytelling from the light horseman and i think that's one of the reasons why it is such an appealing story because in the you know plethora Mm. of of war movies that we have this one does seem a bit more subdued yeah you know, no, there's 100%. not a lot of blood on screen. No, not at all. No, you're definitely right. And yeah, because there's maybe only two major battles, and even one of those battles is a skirmish. Mm. You know what I mean? There's only the one, which again, it's called the Light Horseman, and it's about the Battle of Beersheba. Yeah, but you're right. There's not a lot of blood. There's not a lot of gore. It doesn't. I think this is one of those ones that. It glorifies the battle, but not in a... uh, To me, there are sort of three types of war films. There's, Mm -hmm. on one hand, you've got the glorifying war. You know, hoorah. Yeah. Uh, You've got the other side is where uh, diminishing war and war is horrible and everything about it sucks. Then you've got these ones that sort of float in the middle where it's like, look, we're not glorifying the war. The war sucked. But you know what? This one thing they did, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, you can't sit there and say, you know, the battle, the, the charge, what they did wasn't brave. Oh, absolutely. It, and it wasn't impressive how they pulled it off. Yeah, that's what they it. did. That final battle is amazing. Yeah, that's it. It is edge of the seat, beautifully filmed. That's it. Uh, really thrilling stuff. 100%. Like, I actually think, you know, especially when you're watching a war movie, you want the final battle, the climax, yeah. to be the ultimate payoff. For me, it is in this movie. Yeah, that's it. And I think they're the best movies that sit there and say, look, we're not glorifying the war. We're not saying that this war was a good war. We're not saying that war is a good thing. We're following a medic for crying out loud. Yeah, exactly. But here's a thing that happened. And whether you're pro or anti-war, you've got to say good on you to the what they did here. Yeah. Yeah. Better if they didn't have to, but they had to, so they did it, and it was a bloody good mm. bloody good show. <laughs> yeah. You know, for, for for what it is, I mean mm. look, uh, war's a rat cage, right? Mm. <laughs> and I think for me that is that is why again, that's why I do reenacting, because it's not about glorifying the war. It is about saying, Hey, this is what it was, but it is also about saying, end of the day, 
there are some mighty feats yeah. that people did and that, you know, I, I think we should honour them for that. We mm. should, you know. I also think, personally, to get a tiny bit political, I think we need to honour diplomats a lot more. Yeah. We need to glorify and honour the peacekeepers a lot more. Absolutely. Um, one thing that we have a horrible um, time of doing in this day and age is finding someone putting them up on this huge pedestal, especially peacekeepers I'm talking, mm. putting this up on this huge pedestal and then as soon as one tiny thing goes wrong, crash them down and tear them to shreds. They're no longer saints. They're no longer saints. Yeah. So I think that's what movies like this do. They show, hey, these guys aren't saints. They're still just human. Yeah. But for one moment... They were heroes. Yeah. Look, and they are incredibly human characters. Mm, that's it. Again, they're so fleshed out for the restrictions that the film has. Yes. Um, and they do fight in a heroic battle. Mm. Again, that final battle is mm. absolutely amazing. I don't know how accurate it is to the real battle that it depicts, mm-hmm. but it makes for amazing cinema. Most certainly. Yeah. And... From all accounts that I can read, this is actually fairly accurate in terms of its battles, in terms right. of its mannerisms, it's 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 how people talked and got along and yeah. all that stuff. There has been a little bit of classic eighties, <laughs> of, of course. Thing. You know, just little bits like you know how. Even how the nurse and the soldier dated, even if you want to take out the whole, whether it actually happened, whether it was actually a private, whether etc. etc. But people have said it's a bit flaunty for the era. There would have been a bit more hush hush. A little bit more hush hush. A little bit more. A little bit more decorum. Mm. But again, that's coming from people who study an era without studying the people, if that makes sense. They study the broad. But also for a film, even if it's a period piece, you still want to have some things that are familiar to its contemporary audience. Yes. So they can relate to the characters. Yes, most certainly. Yeah. Um, It's not a documentary. No, that's it exactly. So there are a few little tiny nitpicks Mm -hmm. um, that people have brought up. To be honest, I think it's not worth the... (laughs) Worth it, but it's things like the German Empire flag on the general's car features a band of red above a band of white above a band of black, when in reality the colours were ordered black, white, red. Mm -hmm. Again, so what? (laughs) Yeah. Similarly, there is um, an Australian flag known at the time as the Australian Blue Ensign, which was uh, flying on almost every um, headquarters pole. And this is actually something, Wayne, you pointed out yeah. during the film. And I had to double check and look up. And basically, it existed, but was not in wide use, especially in the army. Yeah, and do you know what, Philip? I can now see, from a filmmaking point of view, mm. why you would use what is now known as the Australian national flag, mm. is because you've got Australians and British troops yes. mixing, so we have to differentiate, differentiate. for our audience. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to think... Hang on, they're all British, mm. but some said they were from Australia. And yeah, yeah. so like I, from a storytelling point of view, it makes sense. Yeah, that's it. And basically what it was at the time, we had the flag, but it was being flown over government buildings. Mm. It was more of a national, not, not a flag of the country, of the nation, mm. but more of a national government flag. It yeah. was to denote... This is like we'd use it at our embassies. Right. So that it would determine Australia versus Britain. Yeah. But our national flag was still the Union Jack because we were still part of the Commonwealth. Yes. Uh, which we still are, but I mean, it was further. There was, was a lot more. There was a lot more. <laughs> There's a lot more love, wasn't there? That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, another thing that throws me a little bit, and this one I think is a little bit lazy. Mm-hmm. Some of the accents. Right. For example, we have Ralph Corderill as Frederick Kress von Kressenstein, mm-hmm. who uses a German accent. Right. Then you have near the end of the film, one of the German subordinates run up and in a very broad Aussie accent <laughs> saying, the Australian light horse has gotten through. <laughs> and it just 
puts you right out. There's a German, the, the field artillery officer, who's telling the guns to fire, says in a very British accent, Fire! <laughs> and you're just like, you got German, at least people with German accents in. You got Turkish extras in. You've got a Turkish officer sitting there in, uh, as a major and also as one of the field officers using very thick accents and looking and sounding the part. And then you have a British guy <laughs> coming in as your German. It's just like two more Germans. That's all you needed. That's all you needed. <laughs> Dub him. Dub him, yeah. And so those little things take me out a little bit and I just get annoyed that... I can see that, especially when there's such good attention to detail yes, elsewhere. that's yeah. it. They've gone to the detail for everything else, literally two more characters. Yeah. Even if they're putting on fake accents because they've got one or two lines, just... Try. Just try. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, Wayne, what are your final thoughts? Well, I have to say, this isn't the first time I've seen The Light Horseman. I've seen it a few times. Mm-hmm. And whilst it's not my go-to war mm-hmm. movie, I'm not offended by it. I do yeah. actually think it's a really solid film for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it achieves what it sets out to do. I think it sets out to represent the Anzac spirit. I think it sets out to tell a story of an epic battle with the Light Horseman. I think it sets out to tell a bit of a love story that's based <laughs> on a real couple. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't know how accurate it is. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. No, not really. It's a movie at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And I think, yeah, it does all of these elements really well. I think that the film overall is actually quite really well performed. I think Mm. a lot of the characters are fleshed out. I've always been a fan of Peter Phelps, and I think he is wonderful as Dave. I think Sigrid Thornton as Anne is also incredibly strong. Unsurprisingly, she is Australian film and television royalty for (laughs) a reason. We've got the other men in the cavalry. We've got Frank, played by Gary Swede, Scotty, played by John Blake, Chiller, played by Tim McKenzie, and Taz, played by John Walton. Again, really solid. You believe these guys are friends. Mm. You believe that they've been through some experiences together. Mm. And they don't have a lot of scenes together. So they convey a lot of backstory in a really limited time frame. And I think we get flashes of that throughout the film with Mm. different dynamics between the characters. One actor that I particularly liked was Anthony Andrews, who played Major Richard Meinhardshagen. Mm. Because when we first meet him, we're not too sure about him. Yeah. Incredibly suspicious. But we want to not trust him. But then we do. And we're still not sure <laughs> until he's, you know, deeply ingrained yeah. with the troops. I adore his performance i think it is so solid and so strong it's such an unsettling performance yes all the right reasons especially when they first meet him and when he does that whole intentional drop of the bag Mm. with the letter inside Mm. because you know when he's cutting the horse for blood we don't know what he's really doing Mm. we don't know the full extent of it and we don't know if he's trustworthy you know is he going to betray dave or Mm. what's he going to do so yeah i i think that that is probably one of the strongest performances and also one of the best written characters too i think the the combination of character and anthony andrew's performance is absolutely perfect i think for me he is the standout in terms of acting in this one one thing that i do also want to credit because i did talk a lot about how brilliant that final battle is shot and filmed performed it's excellent i i can't oversell it enough i don't think because i think it's so well done Mm. but throughout the film the cinematography i actually quite liked to a point i have to say the external shots were so beautiful Mm -hmm. almost you know you can call it uh you know picture perfect or these beautiful postcards the soldiers are filmed in silhouette sometimes it's just absolutely gorgeous Dean Semler shoots this film so beautifully. However, in a lot of the scenes that are inside buildings, internal shots, mm-hmm. a lot of shadows. Oh, they yeah. seem to be filmed quite dark. Mm. And I'm not really sure why these choices are made. I don't think they really work dramatically because the external shots are photographed so beautifully. Mm. We don't quite reach that level of excellence for the internal shots. Mm. But luckily for us, 
Most of the film is set outdoors in that beautiful yes. location and landscape. Yes. I don't think The Light Horseman is a perfect movie. I don't think it's the best Australian war movie, but it has so much going for it. Mm. I think overall it's a strong entry. I think it's a movie that not a lot of people are that familiar with, but I think it's a movie that people should actually sit and watch at least once to get a better understanding of who The Light Horsemen were and their place in Australian war history. Four out of five from me. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention about the beautiful, stunning locations, mm. because those stunning and beautiful locations were in Victoria and Hawker, South Australia. Explains it. It was all filmed, so as much as it, you know, it, it looks like you're in Palestine, mm. and all that, it was all filmed in Australia. Explains why it looks gorgeous. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm very much the same. I think the cinematography was amazing. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think there are there are certain shots I do feel, as you say, are in the shadows too much mm. or indoors. When they're inside talking to um, their dying mate, yeah, it's all in shadows and the, there's no natural way to light that up. Yeah doesn't matter they should have done something to yeah you know yeah had it at night and had them all holding candles or yeah. or just just something to unnaturally light it up so that it didn't look as yeah bad there even when Anne's writing the letter there's a bit of inconsistency yeah, yeah. yeah. the score the music score is absolutely wonderful the true points of tension are hit perfectly yeah every now and then i'll watch a, a show and go oh that's very 80s or very 90s yeah. this feels again i'm not going to say you're going to be humming it when, on the way home no but it, it at least has a timeless feel to it it doesn't feel like it's an 80s movie score no it's suitable for the period that's it's set it. that's, that's true it. i very much love all the actors correct there Bill Kerr as Chevelle, mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. A, a very famous um, character in Australian history, um, portrayed by a, a wonderful actor. Absolutely. <laughs> Small side note, tragedy befell this uh, shooting, or at least the, the aftermath of this shooting. Oh, no. John Blake, who played Scotty, yep. driving home from South Australia... After the last day of filming, mm. he actually ended up in a car accident, a um, oncoming car on the wrong side of the road, um, and he swerved to miss it, ended up severe injuries, uh, uh, severe brain injuries that he never recovered from. Such a shame. It's a, very much a major shame. But yeah. one of the things that came of that is that he ended up with quite a substantial insurance payout, etc., which was actually based on the chances of him becoming famous and successful. So loss of work. Oh, okay. For loss of work. Yeah. And it was actually a lot of his contemporaries, a lot of people from this movie, a lot of other big uh, Australian names came to his trial mm. or, or the, the, the hearing to speak on his behalf to say, yes, this man was going places. You can see uh, it. You can see it. And so, and this film, the footage of this film was actually used in that uh, hearing as well. Right. Yeah, just a little somber note to end on, but uh, something I felt that needed to be mentioned because, again, he gave such an amazing performance in this as well. Yeah. You know, for it to essentially be his final performance. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was it's a strong note to end a career on. Most and, you know, it's unfortunate that it ended, you know, his career no, did end. Yeah. yeah. In terms of the film, though, definitely, this is this is one of my go-to feel-good war movies. Right, if, if that is such a thing. Yeah, yeah I was going to yeah. say. It's definitely one because it isn't glorifying and you don't end up with a nasty taste in your mouth because it's not ripping... Uh, water shreds and, and and making you feel guilty for mm. for doing uh, being part of it or, or or knowing about it sort of thing. It makes you comfortably go, yeah, war is horrible, but here's some amazing things that humanity has done. Yeah, you know something something brave and something strong that we did mm-hmm. um, in in that. So for that, I'd give this four out of five. Nice one, Philip. Thank you so much for bringing The Light Horseman to us. It's a, a solid film, and it was a really interesting discussion. Mm, most certainly. Thank you, Wayne, for joining me on this adventure. Always. 
I've been a Philip Hunting. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And, and you've just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. And scene. Blooper reel. This is a final audio check just to make sure that we have our shit together. And our shit we have together that we are making sure of. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. Welcome to our Fred Watch Anzac Day special. Philip, Anzac Day... Oh, yes. Yes. And I haven't even thought about this because I totally (laughs) forgot I'd do this. Yep. Do you need another lead in? No, no. Okay. Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate the... I'm going to start that again. Mm -hmm. I know what I want to say. It just didn't come out. Yeah. Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate the service. Service. Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate the service that. I'm going to write something quickly. What did I have last time? Hold on. Or did I? I just had the same thing. Uh, horrible histories. So you don't need to go into a lot of detail because we've done that in the super, first one. Yeah. Obviously, say what you want to say. Yeah. Anzac Day is a day in which Australians commemorate the sacrifice that service men and women gave to our country in... Oh, that was so good. Uh, in what? In time of war. No. Um, just, just that bit, isn't it? Yeah, in wartime. Anzac Day is the day that... Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate the... Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate and remember the sacrifice that service. Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate and remember the service that sacrifice. Okay, yep, I got it now. One last time. This will be the last time. Famous last words. Hmm. Anzac Day is a day that Australians commemorate and remember the sacrifice that Australian servicemen and women gave in uh, do you want to write something down yeah no but yeah yeah um, right oh you want me to write it yeah yeah, yeah yeah today we are reviewing simon winces yep today we're today we're reviewing simon winces 1987 anzac film the light horseman the Turkish lines and routing them, securing Bathsheba's waters. Wayne, what did you think of The Light Horseman? Oh, you're going to do it later? I've already done all this. The synopsis? Yeah, we've got it recorded. Did you? Uh, go back. No, 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 I'm sorry. Go back on your, in your files. Oh, yeah, up there. Oh, okay. Um, and then go back one. Okay. You've, oh, you actually recorded it. I didn't realise that's what you meant when you said oh, that. Oh, right. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. The film follows four Australian cavalrymen. Okay. Frank, Gary Sweet, Scotty, John Blake, Chilla, Tim McKenzie, and Taz, John Walton. In Palestine, 1917, yeah. as part of the 4th Light Horse Brigade of Let's the British the end of it. Commonwealth Forces. Cavalry charge in history. Um, and we're not... Concern the audio will be too different. Do you, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> not to give you more work, but do you want to try? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a run. Okay. Yeah, all right. Meanwhile, plans are drawn up for an attack on Beersheba. Major Richards Minor. Ha- oh yeah. Mine hurts Hagen. Mine hurts Hagen. Yep. Thus, lulling the Turks into a... Minert's hand. Hagen. Minert's Hagen. Go from thus. Mm-hmm. Thus. I've lost the thus. Thus, lulling the Turks. Thus, lulling. Yep. Thus, lulling the Turks into a false sense of security. On, on the 31st... Just for clarity. Mm-hmm. 
Dave and the rest of the medical detachment prepare for casualties and are ordered in behind the light horse. Do that again, that was terrible. But he still can't bring himself to, you know, use a bassinet or to, to fire or to swing his, his saber or anything like that. Is that wrong? Just I said bassinet. You said bassinet. I know. If it was any other word, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, okay. But bassinet—that's a hilarious. That's so funny. He's that the, is a hilarious he's, image. He's there with his baby. <laughs> <laughs> Fix bassinets. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, I can't think now. I don't know. Where bayonet. I'm, bayonet. Yes. Uh, but I don't even know where I went from. Um, no, that's right. Um, he can't. He can't. What can't you do? Do you need to listen back? Oh, no, because I'll just stuff up the recording. Any defense besides the soldiers around you mm. or the troops around you? Is, is, is it troops or soldiers? Or it's, uh, inter- it's interchangeable? Okay. Go in- Because he goes into battle with, you know... Oh, fuck off. Actually, I'll cut it off there and leave it like mm. that. Okay. It's been a while, hasn't it, Philip? Mm-hmm. Yep. And... There's a supporting statistic. Again, I don't know the full numbers, but it's something like 85% of injuries during the Second World And there's a supporting uh, studies. Yes, there's a love story here. So we have... I'm going to stop because I need to find the names. Sorry. Sigrid Thornton, Azan. We have Sigrid... Sigrid? Sigrid. And actually ends up being an officer. Right. The reason I bring this up is because nurses are not meant to fraternize with un. Uh, with, with a couple of little things, and they're just nitpits at this point, but things like. Um, sorry, I just want to double check it. So there are a tiny, few little tiny nitpicks. So there are a t- few. And the reason I find this a little lazy because you have, um, sorry, it's okay. We don't have him here. Who? Which one? The German. Is it Frederick Kress von Quetzenstein? Ralph Cottrell? Uh, yes. In red. Mm-hmm. Because he's a real person. Yep. Do you, sorry, do you want to read Yes, it? just for a moment, okay, please. Um, for example, we have Ralph Cotill. But, other than that... Um, sorry. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but, uh, where are we going? Accents. Um Okay, I'll throw it over to you, actually, I think. Yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but taking other... Huh? I think it's it's out to tell a story of an epic battle with the Light Horts. We've got the other boys in, in the team. We've got Frank, we've got Scotty, we've got Taz. Beautifully played by Gary Sweet, John Blake, Tim McKenzie, John Walton. I didn't even mention Chiller, sorry. A... That's the editor, Wayne. I'm very much the same. I think the um, the cinema. F- I think the cinema. F- could you say the word? Cinematography. Cinematography. 